Good morning, Crossroads. It's great to be with you again. Uh, just thanks for joining us. Thanks for connecting to worship together and to open God's Word this morning. Um, we are going to be um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 for this new series called Relinquish. And um, we're going to actually spend six weeks in one text here. So it's going to take us a while. You'll be really familiar with this text by the time we wrap this series up. And uh, I want to focus in on one phrase this morning that I think probably um, captures the essence of this series and why we called it Relinquish. And, and that's a phrase, and we'll explore it this morning in, in our text, where Paul references people who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. That godliness is a means to financial gain. That's the last phrase of verse 5. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, and that's a real challenge for us. And I think if I, I'm going to use a phrase this morning that we've used before and we'll, we'll help you understand it, and that's the prosperity gospel, which is really kind of rampant in America and throughout the world now. And if I had to pick a Bible phrase that would best kind of characterize what's meant by this term prosperity gospel, this would be it. The prosperity gospel is people who embrace a false gospel with an expectation that godliness or spirituality or faith is going to somehow lead them to financial gain. And that just doesn't square with the whole of the gospel. So this morning I want to start with the words of an African pastor um, from a book called Prosperity, Seeking the True Gospel. Uh, it's a great little book. It's written actually by three African pastors. And I'm going to quote that this morning because I've been concerned about prosperity gospel for a long time, but since we've engaged in sub-Saharan Africa, it's just rampant over there. And to see Pastors, in the name of the gospel, who exploit people for their own personal gain is awful. And so these men wrote this book, and, and one African pastor about a year ago told me this. He said, you know, one of the most significant things the church in America has given to Africa is the prosperity gospel. And he was not saying that in a positive light. And you do see it everywhere there, and that's so discouraging to me. So I want to start with a quote from a pastor named Kenneth Mbugwa. He's from Nairobi, Kenya. And from this book, he, along with two others, Africans, authored this. And this is a definition and then also describes the danger of this false gospel. He says this, and I quote, Prosperity gospel claims freedom from sickness poverty, and all suffering on the basis of Christ's death on the cross, promising material, physical, and visible blessings for all who would embrace it. The prosperity gospel insists that God's will is for all his children to prosper in the here and now. In this false gospel, we are not persuaded to desire, pursue, or treasure Jesus Instead, Jesus is regarded as merely the way to get the material things our worldly hearts hunger for. Now hear this. And what your heart desires more than God has become your God. Scripture is clear that the goal of our salvation is God, not gold. And so the true gospel is about an infinitely great God who offers us the best gift imaginable himself. 
End of quote from Pastor Kenneth Mbugwa, Nairobi, Kenya. Very, very profound words. I'll reference this quote throughout the morning. Um, then this is what we need to relinquish. This is what we need to let go of because it's infectious and it's in us. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Now let me get on to what does this word relinquish mean? Why did we choose this word for this series? It's a great word. By definition, it is this, to renounce or surrender, to give up, to put aside, to desist from, to let go, to, to relinquish means we loosen our grip and we let that go. We surrender it. And I think that is so important for us, particularly in this idea of the prosperity gospel, which says the mindset or the expectation that faith somehow will lead me to financial gain. Faith is not an end road, is not a means to physical blessing. And so in this series, we need to relinquish materialism. We need to relinquish the love of money. We need to relinquish this justification where we say, well, I really need that, when in reality we may just want it. These are all things that we need to open our hand about and kind of let go. And so we are going to unashamedly challenge you in this series to repentance from the prosperity gospel and anything that is related to that. And before we get into our text for the morning and actually read that, I want to say one more thing to elevate the importance of this relinquishing which leads us to repentance. If we do not repent of impure gospel, the witness of Jesus Christ is profoundly hindered. And our text of study for today tells us why. Churches who are based more on prosperity gospel than true gospel are characterized by things that destroy the mission of Christ in the world. So let's read our text, just a few verses now. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to start with the second half of verse 2. And for most of your Bibles, in the heading of the NIV, it's the heading, False Teachers and the Love of Money. So we'll start there. Paul says, These are the things, Timothy, you are to teach and insist on. Let me pause here and give you context. Timothy's not just a pastor. Timothy is kind of an overseer. We might, some might use the word bishop. He's kind of an overseer of a number of elders and pastors who are leaders of local, what we'd call house churches in various cities of his region. And so Paul is writing to Timothy as an overseer to say, this is what you must insist on that these pastors and elders are teaching in their individual congregations. Very strong language for Paul to say, you've got to insist on this, overseer Timothy. He goes on to verse 3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Hmm. Let me pray and commit this series. God, we thank you for 
this instruction from Paul to Timothy, very strong instruction, God, that we would insist on sound teaching, pure gospel. God, as American Christians, we find ourselves in a context where the gospel has been perhaps misarticulated, misrepresented for many of us. And Lord, so my prayer is that you would open our hearts throughout this series, that you would search our hearts, O Lord, and see if there's any way of prosperity gospel, if there's any thinking in our hearts or even an expectation, Lord, that, boy, if I'm godly, if I pursue Jesus Christ, there's also some financial gain for me. Would you drill into our hearts and expose that? And then by your grace, would you grant us an open hand to relinquish that expectation and to trust in the pure gospel that you've proclaimed to us. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Now let me talk about why this is so relevant for us. And I don't don't have any data here because it's kind of hard to get data on because this is an issue, I think, deep within our hearts. But I want to make this statement, and I think many people first sought Jesus Christ with an expectation that faith leads to financial gain. That's the prosperity gospel. And if any thread of that was in you when you first sought Jesus, and you have yet to relinquish that and turn from that, it's time to do that, church. It's time to do that. I remember my own experience, and I don't... I didn't come to Jesus purely because I wanted financial gain, but I'm sure part of that was in me. Because I was young, I was in my junior year of engineering school and stressed because I found it difficult. We got married really young, I was a newlywed, and marriage was suddenly like, wait, I didn't expect this. And so my expectations, and it was hard. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. It was just a diff, really difficult season of life, and I began to realize that if I wasn't careful, I could slide off into a really slippery slope of making a mess of my life. And the Spirit of God pressed in on me, and it was my moment of total surrender to Jesus Christ. And again, I, I didn't surrender because I wanted financial prosperity, but I'm sure that was in there. And for a couple of years, nothing much about our circumstances changed. And I began to wonder, hmm. But also simultaneously with that, I began to experience a delight in Jesus and began to realize Jesus is really what I need. Jesus is really what I want. The rest of this, whatever. But it's him that I want. And so that's what we need to do, church. We need to realize Jesus is the goal of our salvation. I love this line that the African pastor said in his book, the goal of our salvation is God, not gold. That's such a profound phrase. You know, it's not just me. I think most of us, probably when we came to Christ, there was some expectation of this. And in some people, I've seen it very brashly. I've served in three large churches over my ministry season. And in every one of those congregations, I've observed people who engage with that church, with that local church at a very deep level. And sometime later, it became very clear the reason they were doing that was expectation of financial gain. Business people who would come to expand their business context because it was a large church. 
And then maybe people who came with the expectation of um, they wanted to be on a leadership group and a leadership board so they would have more influence so they could put that on their resume. And even two cases in particular, one man came because he was he sold equipment and supplies that the church needed and suddenly he became very involved in the local church and wanted a contract. Another man was running for office and came and got very involved in the local church for about a year. Was really involved, super involved, and let everyone know that he was running for a county office. And the week after the election, didn't see him, haven't seen him since. Hmm. You see what we're up against? And I think there's threads of this in each one of us, and we just simply have to open our hearts to Jesus and say, Jesus, is some of that in me? I need your grace to relinquish it. And church, if that's in us and we don't identify it and we live that out, we damage the witness of Christ in the world. And so I want to show you that this morning by kind of working backwards through this text a little bit. So we're going to start with that phrase and this statement, churches influenced by prosperity gospel are characterized by certain really negative things. That's kind of what Paul tells us here. And most of it's in one sentence in verse 3 and 4 here. So the first thing that churches who are been influenced by this idea of faith or spirituality creates financial gain, one of the things Paul says characterizes them is falsehood. Because that's not the pure gospel. And so he says this falsehood fuels friction between people. Look at uh, the first part of verse 5. Paul says these folks are characterized, and these are people in a church. These are people in the church where there's constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. Paul says the reason there's constant friction between people in the church is because they've been robbed of the truth. Their foundation is incorrect. It's wrong theology. Kind of here's how that happens. When people are part of a local church and they're expecting some form of God's blessing, some form of financial gain, and it doesn't come to them, let's say you sit on this side of the auditorium and people sit on this side of the auditorium, and these are the people who haven't experienced much financial gain, and these are the people who have, what's going to happen? This group is going to be envious of that group. And so Paul includes this envy term here. And this leads to strife and malice and distrust. He talks about evil suspicions here. We'll get to that. And people then think, oh, I bet they're taking money from somewhere. And it just it's, it gets a mess. Their minds are corrupt because they never had the, the pure gospel in the first place. And so their initial and continual seeking of Jesus was seeped in selfish, materialistic gain. That's a false gospel. And so how many local congregations have been split because of envy and strife? How many people do you know who left a local congregation because they weren't getting what they wanted? This attitude doesn't have to just be financial gain. It can be any form of personal gain. And people leave churches because, oh, they're not doing anything for me. And that's not what I expected. And they go to another church thinking maybe this is where they'll find the thing they want. This hinders our witness, church. We must be aware of it. We must relinquish it and move to repentance. 
Second thing Paul talks about that I want to accentuate here today is just this striving. He says it creates strife. These are people, he say, who have an, an unhealthy interest in controversy and quarreling. And, you know, there's nothing like the expectation or the pursuit of financial gain to feed controversy, to feed strife. Because everybody wants something and they're trying to get it and so we stumble over each other. And, oh, it's all, it's all very subtle. Nobody in our churches would say, I'm here for money. But there's a striving that results from this. Now, church, just think about our mission. Why would anyone want to be a person of faith if our churches and our congregations are characterized by striving? People got enough strife in their life. If they see a church that's driven by envy and strife and quarreling and controversy and friction between people, why would they want that? That's not an attractive gospel. And yet Paul is warning Timothy that if the church is influenced by this idea that godliness and spirituality creates, results in financial gain, this is what's going to happen. This will characterize those kind of churches. Verse, or the third point is just an unbiblical theology. I've already mentioned this. Paul says that um, the, several places here. He says in first part of verse 4, they're conceited and they understand nothing. He's not saying that they're totally ignorant people. They just don't understand the pure gospel. They don't understand the pure gospel. Unbiblical theology. Folks who come to Christ as a mean of means of financial gain and have never repented of that have wrong theology. When such people claim Christ, they propagate this false doctrine. They are not speaking what is right about God. Now, I've just said some strong things, and maybe you think, well, how do I know? And uh, I'm dogmatic about that. I just want to challenge you to test this out with Scripture. What Paul is saying here is, is consistent with what Jesus taught and with many other instructions in the Scripture. We're blind to a church so often in the West because we just, we've lived in a prosperous culture for so long. We've all been born and raised in this. And so I think we have blinders on our heart. And one of the things about this series, we need to ask and pray that God would drill deeply into our hearts and expose these expectations if they're there. Fourth thing, I just read it. First words of verse 4, Paul says they're conceited. Hmm. Conceit is an ugly thing. Let me define it for you. Definition of conceit is an excessively favorable opinion of one's own importance. Hmm. A person who's conceited has this inflated opinion of themselves. A person who's conceited has an excessively favorable opinion of their own importance. There is no place in the church of Jesus Christ for this. Because a person who's conceited exalts themselves. Who's to be exalted in the church? Jesus Christ and Him only. And when we start making senior leaders, senior pastors, or other pastors, or other leaders of a church, if they exalt themselves till they become the focal point, our witness is hindered and destroyed. Jesus 
is the head of his church alone. Paul challenges us that there should be no conceit in the church. Romans 3.12, look at this. I'm sorry, Romans 12.3. Romans 12.3 says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Paul just comes right out to the Romans who he'd never met. He wrote a letter to them about the pure gospel, and he says, now don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Exalt Christ, not yourself. Prosperity gospel hinders us from exalting Jesus because we make ourselves central to the gospel instead of the centrality of Christ. We must relinquish this and turn from it, church. So our next point is, church, we just need to repent of this expectation that godliness somehow leads to financial gain. We need to repent of that and embrace the pure gospel. And that may mean we prosper. We'll talk about that through this series. That may well mean that. Let's go back to the positive now and see how Paul describes to Timothy how to prevent this kind of thing from characterizing the church, from becoming central to the church. And he starts, it's the first verse I read, the second half of verse 2. He says we need to, Timothy, you've got to teach and insist on a number of things. First thing is sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such strong language Paul uses. He says, Timothy, you've got to teach this. You've got to make sure the pastors and the elders are teaching this, and you must insist on it. Be inflexible that the leaders of the local churches would teach the pure gospel. And what Paul says is sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, you can't compromise on this. You have to be inflexible. You have to assess and make sure the leaders of the churches are teaching sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you get just a little off, the witness of Christ is hindered. Now, it's beyond the scope of this sermon for me to go into what all this sound instruction of the Lord Jesus is, but I just want to give you four sub-points here that really, I think, um, summarize the gospel, which is all about Jesus. And uh, these are the things we need to teach if we're going to embrace the pure gospel in the right ways. So number one, a knowledge of God. Number one, a knowledge of God. Sorry for my outline. I got ones under one, but that's okay. Knowledge of God. Kevin Clark talked about this two weeks ago on Palm Sunday. We talked about how we have to understand that God is righteous, God is holy, He's good, He's also just, He also loves us. None of these things can be compromised. God is who He is. And so the gospel starts with a right knowledge of God, knowing that He is righteous and holy above all else. Secondly, it's a knowledge of our human depravity. The knowledge of our human depravity. We are badly broken. We are steeped in rebellion from the moment of our conception. And so these two truths are central to the gospel. And so I'm going to illustrate it this way. We need to understand a knowledge of God. God is holy, righteous. We as human beings are all depraved. We've sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God is here. (laughs) We can't get there because we've sinned. So there's this huge separation, distinction, and it's because of our sin. We weren't created this way. We were created, one, united with God. God, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. 
enmity with God. Separation ever since. So God was not content with this distance. He wanted it back to how it was supposed to be, united. And so he sends the mediator. And 1 Timothy describes this as there's, no, there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so there's God, there's man, we're at enmity with each other. We need a mediator. Only Jesus fits that. Only Jesus can make that work. That's what Kevin taught us two weeks ago on Palm Sunday. It was a great summary of the gospel. Um, we need a mediator. We can't end around that mediator and get to God. There's no way to do it. Can't happen. We have to go through Christ to be restored to the original design of God and relationship with humanity. And the fourth point is response by faith to the grace of God in Christ. There's a response required. This gospel is not automatic. God honors our free choice, so we need to respond. So there's knowledge of God, human depravity, only Jesus, and a response by faith to the grace of God. God moving to us, we respond by faith. These are kind of the foundation stones of the gospel, and these are the things we must teach and insist on. And notice this is consistent with what our African brother said. The goal of our salvation is God, not gold. The goal of our salvation is to get back to God. We can only do that through the mediator of Jesus Christ until we're united in him. Gold is no part of that pipeline. The goal of our salvation is this, not gold or material blessings somewhere else. We must insist on this. Secondly, we must insist on godly teaching. Paul talks about that, and I'm, not, I'm going to be, try to be careful. I'd like to preach this, but this is Pastor Strader's work for next week, so I'm going to... He's sitting out here looking at me, and I promised him I wouldn't steal all his stuff for next week, so I've got to be true to that. But we've got to have godly teaching about faith, about theology, about life. The very points of the gospel we just went over. We've got to make sure we're teaching that. Next week, Pastor Strader's going to define what godliness is for us. The next sentence is so awesome. Paul says, in contrast to this idea of thinking that faith or godliness is some, somehow leads us to financial gain, he says, instead, no, godliness with contentment is great gain. And we find that in Jesus Christ. When, if my goal is to get to God, Jesus Christ is the means by which I get there. And Jesus Christ is also our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. He's our godliness. Everything I want and need is in Jesus Christ. And Matt will unpack that for us next week. Just one, I've got to give one quote yet, again, from another pastor of this book. This guy's also from Kenya. His name is Pastor Mora. He says this, God does not save us primarily to bless us with material things, but to change us to be like Christ. Mm. Church, we've got to understand this. And it's, it's probably not in our DNA when we first came to Jesus. I think it's more likely that what was in our DNA when we first sought Christ was, ooh, maybe there's some financial gain from this faith thing. We've got to turn from that. We've got to realize God doesn't save us primarily to bless us with gold, but to transform us to be like Christ. And we need to learn contentment and godliness in Christ. And that's enough said. Pastor Matt will bring that to us next week. So by way of summary, point three is we've got to teach and insist on pure gospel, not prosperity gospel. Pure gospel, let me say it another way. Pure gospel is not Jesus plus something else. It's just, it's just Jesus. 
Pure gospel is Jesus. He's the only mediator. He's the only way for us to get reconnected with God. So it's not Jesus plus. And if you have something in your heart or have come to Christ with a Jesus plus doctrine, we want to expose that and we want to encourage you to relinquish that during this series. Because that's a form of prosperity gospel. Even Asaph in the Old Testament wrote some psalms. He was actually King David's worship leader. Even Asaph understood this and embraced the, the prize of gaining God. Because he said in a psalm he wrote in Psalm 73, verse 25, he said, Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth in my sinfulness has nothing I desire besides you. The goal of the gospel, the goal of our salvation is God, not gold. We need to find our satisfaction, our delight in Jesus. And church, if we insist on this, if we insist on teaching sound doctrine and sticking to the pure gospel, then our church, Crossroads Church and any other church that holds to the pure gospel, will be characterized by the fruits of the Spirit of Jesus. Not by strife, not by malice. Not by conceit, not by contention or dissension. No, it will be characterized by the centrality of Christ and the fruits that come from His Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The things money cannot buy. This is how God will grow us. This is how God will use us to be a witness to the world by changing us into his likeness and growing his fruits in us and through us. That's what the world needs. And so I want to wrap up with just encouraging you to really look deep within yourself. What, is there a Jesus plus in your heart? It's time to let go of the plus and to pursue Jesus above all else and only Jesus. One more word of warning about the prosperity gospel. Jesus himself gave us this in a parable, Luke chapter 8, verse 14. It was one of the parables of the seeds. And here's what Jesus said about that seed that is scattered, the seed being the truth of God and the gospel. He said, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. They hear the gospel. They want it. They receive it. Like the ground receives seed. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries. They are choked by riches and pleasures. Circle it, that's prosperity gospel. And they do not mature because they think that their faith and godliness will somehow lead them to financial gain. The prosperity gospel will choke your faith. It will choke the church and the witness of Christ to the world. We must identify this and turn from it, church before it chokes us to death. So evaluate, will you? Will you take a deep look within your heart about when you first came to Jesus and about where you are now? Are you to that place where you're like, I don't care, I just want Jesus. Earth has nothing I desire but, from, but you, Jesus. Now I want to talk about one other thing yet, and the band can come back, I'm about done here, you guys. Um, and I want an application for today. I want to ask you to pray about something. And I want to ask you to pray about this because I think this can be, become an expression of your passion to 
pursue Christ alone and not what he can give us. And so here's the application. I want you to pray about using your stimulus, stimulus money from the government for gospel gain. And circle the word pray. I'm not going to tell you how to use this money. But Lenita and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and I think she asked the question. We're just in the car, just chatting, doing whatever. She says, what are we going to do with this stimulus money when you get it from the government? I said, I don't know. And as we talked about it, all of a sudden I realized, <laughs> if we have to ask the question, <laughs> and my answer is, I don't know, we probably don't need it. And you know what? We don't. Her income hasn't changed. She's still working, albeit at home. Mine hasn't. I'm still working. And we're probably spending less because we're home. We love to eat out. Not doing that. So we're just home. Hanging out. We don't really need this stimulus money. And so as we've prayed about this, and I, I asked the elders if I could share this because I'm not one to whatever. I just share this by way of example and have you pray something. We're going to we're going to give both our stimulus checks to the Samaritan Fund here. Because we just recognize there's a lot of people that need it worse than we do. So I'm not saying you need to do that. I do want you to pray about how you use that money. Because, folks, it's free money. All right, None of us were counting on this a month ago. <laughs> and God is going to, boop, through our government, just drop this stuff in our lap. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, by the way. So you can credit him. Our God, not our president be clear about that. <laughs> I just want you to pray about that. Now, for some of you, gospel gain might mean a, a big boost in your financial management. For some of you, maybe you have lost revenue. Maybe you have lost your job. Maybe it's tough to pay the bills. Use the stimulus money to pay your bills. That's what it's for. Use it. Good for you. Thank God for what's happening with our government. Thank God for resources. I don't know where it's all coming from, but pay your bills. One of the things about the gospel is that we wouldn't need to be, become a liability to someone else. God doesn't want you to be a liability to anybody else. He provides for you. Trust in it. Pay your bills. Some of you maybe haven't lost revenue, but you do have a lot of debt. And you, Brother Clark leads our crime. You're saying, I want to give more to the church. I want to give more to gospel causes, but I got this debt thing. Take your stimulus money and pay down some debt. That's gospel gain. Good for you. Maybe this is your time to start a benevolence account. I've, I've challenged you about this before, and other leaders from the pulpit have. Maybe this is your chance to say, you know what, we want an account that just goes to benevolence, that just extends grace to people. We just want to have some money on the side that when needs are available, we can just give that by grace. Maybe this is your chance. Take a stimulus check as seed money to start a benevolence account. Invest it in the market. I'm no financial expert, but I got an idea. I, I'm thinking over the next year we're going to see the market go. And if you put some money in there with the intent of benevolence, it's going to grow. Any of these can be gospel gain kind of things. Would you pray about that? Before you go out and spend that, would you just pray about it? And see what God desires you to do. Now, church, um, we've taught you this before too. The outcome of some of this might be that God prospers you. God does prosper us, but not for our own financial gain. He prospers us for the gain of his kingdom, for the advancement of his church. That's what we need to understand. So if God prospers you, the burden is on you to pray all the harder about how to leverage that, how to steward that for God's kingdom, not to use it for financial gain. Lord, we need your help here. 
Because I just am pretty convinced, Lord, there's stuff in our hearts that um, is this expectation of financial gain because of knowing you. God, would you just teach us and challenge us that you are enough and that you are all we need. And that if you bless us with anything beyond yourself, may we be wise to steward that for your glory. We delight in you. We find the fullness of our satisfaction in you. We praise you and we thank you. Amen.